0: Hello everyone and welcome to this edition of the weekly chat and I'm joined as always by my good friend and ex-colleague Ralph Hebgen who uh, was a superstar equity research analyst for about 50 years. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Anyway today we are going to talk about four topics. Firstly we're going to talk about the very excitingly titled CPTPP. Try and say that after a few lagers. Secondly, we are going to be talking about the 2035 petrol car deadline. Thirdly, we're going to be talking about fun and games in the metaverse. And fourthly, we are going to be talking about the importance of the open letter on artificial intelligence. So um, what a lineup that is. Um, I mean, you know, anyway, so um, first things first, CPTPP, it's hard to say, but anyway, CPTPP, that uh, there was a big song and dance about it um you know the, announced that we have uh, so Britain has joined um, this, um, you know, this, this trade agreement, um, with this Asia Pacific trade agreement. Um, they are shouting the benefits of this from the rooftops and saying that, you know, it gives us exposure to a very, um, you know, a, 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 an area of the world which has huge, um, growth potential. And therefore, it is a really great thing. And it is something that the government can show, um, as something that they've done. Uh, as a positive step forward after Brexit. Um, however, my my own opinion is it's kind, we've kind of got these um, agreements with something like seven out of the 11 members anyway. So actually, I don't know really how much more upside there is to be got from this. Um, however, what do you think, Ralph?
1: Uh, yes, indeed. I mean, first of all, uh, yes, CPTPP, blimey. Oh, is this easier to say than chat GPT? Yeah. For me, but anyway, there we are. So, yes, uh, absolutely. So, <laughs> so um, CPTPP is indeed a trade bloc, a pan Asian or Pacific, uh, pacific trade bloc. It notably includes uh, economies such as Japan, Canada, Australia, and New Zealand, and a few other smaller mm-hmm. ones. And um, We, as in the UK, have just forged a trade deal with it in the sense that we have now exceeded it. So we are now a member of CPTPP and yay, this is uh, hailed as a fantastic Brexit dividend and in the eyes of the government clearly shows that we have now attained the freedom to do bilateral trades, which we were not able to do under the yoke of Europe. And so this is basically pint glasses up. Um, uh, pine glasses which by the way now bear the royal crest of a crown which also wasn't possible to imprint under the yoke of the uh uh, we'll, have to put our, uh,
0: we'll have to put our liter glasses away, of course.
1: Yeah. Oh, absolutely.
0: These are the steins. <laughs> yeah, the steins. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, anyway yeah.
1: yeah. So Brexit evidence left, right, and centre. Yay! It's a it's a good new world. Now, I'm not going. to, I mean, everybody knows by now that I tend to climb on the soapbox when I talk about Brexit, and clearly, I don't like it very much. But
0: I. Like to you just you sounded base. so kick, you sounded so engaged when you were just talking about the the advantages of CPTPP there.
1: Yeah, no, and I'm going to continue because I'm yes. not going to kick this one because yes. ba- ba- basically basically all I want to say and I want to provide a little bit of a numbers framework because mm-hmm. these type of bilateral agreements are going to be with us uh, for the future, because obviously this is what we need to do, this is what we wanted to do in leaving Europe. And um, let's just throw some numbers at you guys. We since Brexit, Brexit, I think we entered into four bilateral trade agreements. One is with New Zealand, one is Australia, one is Japan, and there is now the accession to CPTPP. We may have done a few others, but um, these are the ones I wish to sort of highlight. Uh, The one with Japan, we can sort of forget about because that just... (laughs) <laughs> not being disrespectful to you, sir, here, of course, <laughs> it's, uh, it's it's just that that is a direct mirroring of what we would have got anyway as a member of the EU because they did the same deal. So uh, incrementally, we have New Zealand to talk about Oz and uh, CPTPP. Now, New Zealand is projected to generate a three uh, basis point, that's 0.03% uplift to the UK gross domestic product by
0: 2035 let's I mean, just if that's not if that's not worth celebrating i don't know what is but, but let's just frankly. take the number without without putting
1: it yet into a framework so yeah okay we have three basis points the deal from australia is projected to add eight basis points by <laughs> by 2035 yeah uh, and so that gives me, I think, 11 basis points. Mm-hmm. Now, the CPTPP one, and just the incremental part, which is not Australia and New Zealand, is projected to be about 8 basis points, again, this time by 2027. But let's not be too anal, let's just say 2027, 2035, that's the same number. And so uh, by that time, we are going to therefore generate 16 plus three, 19 basis points. Let's round this up to 20 basis points, so cool. The total weight of bilateral trade agreements done after Brexit, since Brexit, are projected to add something like 20 basis points uplift to UK GDP by 2030. Um, Is that a lot or is that not a lot? That is sort of what we have to ask ourselves. There's one benchmark, which is an EU-US trade deal, which was mooted in 2015. It was eventually abandoned um, for various reasons. That would have added to the UK economy which at the time was still part of the EU, EU, something of the order of magnitude of 35 basis points, again, by 2030 or thereabouts. So let's compare the two numbers. 20 BIPs uplift from what we've done versus 30, 35 pips uplift from what a U.S.-U.K. trade deal within Europe would have generated. So my first point is actually one to say, well, well, it, it, it is visible. The, the sort of order of magnitude uplift benefits to the U.K. economy, which you can expect bilateral trade agreements to have, is in the order of tens of basis points. It's not in the order of a percentage point. It's that sort of order of magnitude. So from that point of view, cool, fair enough, whatever. But we need to compare that to what we lost by leaving the EU, because clearly that is the political context in which these deals are being packaged, in which these deals are being uh, communicated to the general public as a Brexit dividend. So if it's a Brexit dividend, it means it's a net uplift of what we would have been able to achieve had we remained in the single market. Now, what we lost by the single market is, wait for it, and these are numbers by the Office of Budget Responsibility. So I'm not quoting the Brexit haters club here or something. This is the UK talking.
0: (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Brexit haters club. (laughs) Sounds, of, sounds sounds like a fun place. Um, yeah, of so, which of which I'm uh, not a friend <laughs> Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Cart, <laughs> A card carrying member.
0: <laughs> okay, cool. I've anyway, the parking then... space outside and everything. I mean, just... anyway, Literally, sorry. Carry on.
1: They say that already now in 2022, the impact is estimated, the impact from leaving the single market. It's 2023,
0: market. Just, just wanted to remind you. But yeah.
1: yeah, I know, but now is when we have numbers. In
0: okay, you know, 2023, yeah, cool. we don't okay, have numbers yeah.
1: yet. Yeah, right. You understand? No, I just, projections, you know, I'm just,
0: estimates. just showing you that I'm you know I'm listening. You, I'm always you, listening. You haven't
1: yeah. fallen asleep yet like no, most of our not listeners. not me. Not <laughs> me. Cool. So I want to say the number now. Yeah, go on then. Oh, God. I'll spit it out. <laughs> like beavers like and Butthead. Um <laughs> Uh, where was I? Yes, the number. What is the number? The number. The... It's easy for you to say, isn't it, really? Come on. It isn't, actually, because you keep interrupting. <laughs> the. <laughs> the. the negative impact of leaving the single market is estimated by the Office of Budget Responsibility in the UK to be between 400 and 600 basis points. And that is, like I said, not the Brexit haters clubs. That's the OBR speaking here. Yes, it is an estimate, of course, but these are estimates like the other ones are estimates, of course, as well. And Mm. so we are comparing a midpoint of 500 basis points negative impact of leaving the single market with currently projected 20 basis points uplift from bilateral trade agreements. So two points in summary. In itself, that's the order of magnitude which you can expect from bilateral trade agreements. So it's not not a lot in the context of bilateral trade agreements. But it is, of course, nothing if we really are talking about the Brexit dividend. The Brexit dividend would mean that we get a net incremental uplift over what we lost and this is Mm. in the order of magnitude of 500 bips not tens of bips so let anybody be silenced forever after who Mm. claims that bilateral trade agreements are going to deliver a benefit to the uk economy this was me on my soapbox again sorry
0: nice nice
1: but it's just Um, the last bit the the, the other bits are numbers and i think this perhaps it's useful just to generate a framework.
0: For us, well, to, it does give it. I uh, mean, basically,
1: a little
0: bit. you know, it does give you a frame of reference, um, doesn't it really just to just to show you how what what the actual impact is? So, yeah, so thank you. That's very that's that was that's very useful. That, um, so anyway, let's go into the next thing, um, which is talking about the 2035 uh petrol car deadline. So, let's let's uh Oh, I'm going to use this phrase. I really hate this phrase. So I'm going to use it. Let's just unpack this, All right? Let's unpack this. Um, ah, <laughs> um, and um, <laughs> um, so let's So basically, um, there are a number of self-imposed deadlines for various countries for various reasons about when is the last time we're going to be selling um, uh, combustion engine vehicles. Um, in the UK, it is 2030. If you are Jaguar, Land Rover and an absolute masochist, then that is 2035. Um, the, uh, the Brussels tried to get Europe to agree to a 2035 ban, um, but the Germans, joined by others, Yeah, I think the you know, Italians, I think Poland was against it as well, um, they they were against it they said only if there was a um an exemption for e-fuel for cars that could use e-fuel now you can use e-fuel in existing cars so that's kind of the idea really is that it it really gives car manufacturers much more wiggle room when it comes to people um Going to electric cars. And so um, anyway, that's what was suggested a few weeks ago, month or so ago. Uh, the Germans came back. I think it was last week, and they said um, no, or nine maybe. Uh, they said no, we are not taking that. Um, we want that. You know, we want there to be an exemption for um, for e fuels. Um, the the e, I think it's the European Commission then came back. And they had amended it to include a special category for e um you know e fueled cars um but it stipulated that it had to be they could only use e um uh, e fuel and there had to be something fitted that made sure that that was the case um but then they've come back now at the last minute saying, okay fine you know you've got the, you've got the exemption let's move on." It just shows how powerful Germany is, and consequently, how weak the European Commission is when confronted by Germany. You can understand why Germany's doing this because, A, much more exposed, you know, economy very much exposed to manufacturing, mm. and B, a lot of that manufacturing is cars. So, of course, they are going to be saying that. But what's your take on it, Ralph?
1: Well, I mean, basically, I have. Very little to add in this particular case because he summarised it beautifully. To me, it shows the contradiction or the conflict between political implementation of policy or implementation of, poli- of, of, of policy mm. and the stark realities of business life or of, of, of economics. And in this particular case, yes, it was the Germans because the Germans are a very strong economy. Uh, economy in the EU, and one of its strongest sectors is the automotive sector. Obviously, they have a vested interest in prolonging the date by which they can still sell new, newly manufactured petrol cars. Um, and this has happened here, but what is interesting is that, first of all, the EU sort of caved uh, to some extent. And second, the repercussions of it, because now with these exemptions in place, countries which have weaker automotive sectors cannot go it alone and implement unilaterally a target. Now of course I'm talking specifically about the UK because I think it had a target of twenty thirty or so, which is now clearly looking under danger of being being meaningless because um, we have to have our get our cars from somewhere. We could build them ourselves, but we don't for some reason, and uh, therefore we need to import them. French, Italian, and German cars are good cars. Japanese cars are good, but the trade mm-hmm. agreement doesn't cover that; it only covers soya sauce, unfortunately. Um, and uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> hmm. Okay. That's, uh, yeah, that's an issue. No, no, nobody looked. I mean, this, this only emerged <laughs> later, apparently. And uh, so, yeah, so basically th- there's an issue. And, and <laughs> back to the serious commentary, it just basically shows that a mid-sized economy, which is not part of the single market, can, of course, not uh, hmm. go it alone and has little leeway in implementing unilaterally policy decisions, which are confronting the vested interests of Mm. the more powerful economic superpower, which is on that country's border. And and so, unfortunately, in the wider sense, uh, in in the wider scheme of things, this is, of course, not positive. It just basically shows that uh, some environmental targets, which are very important to implement, have been extended outwards uh, Mm. even further. And then and, and Ger- and Germans' automotives in the industry is, of course, just one example. I mean, this is not the only important sector in Germany. There, are, in, in, in the EU, there are others uh, which might also uh, impact uh, the development of policy targets in, in future.
0: Mm. Absolutely. And I think that, um, you know, I mean, I, I did think it was amusing how uh, Grant Shapps, um he, the government minister, he said, oh, no, our deadline is still 2030 um, but I do think he's talking rubbish um, I don't think it's the first time that the politician may have to do a u-turn but if everyone else is doing 2035 why would you do 2030 no no so um so anyway so that I cannot see why we would stick with 2030 no um maybe this is one of those things that they'll leave it in place for now because they know it's meaningless um and then maybe after the you know the election or something they might revisit it or whatever that that and mm. um increasing the retirement age because that that ain't going to be that ain't going to be popular either um so um so yeah so I, I i don't know i mean i think that um this is interesting and we and the uk's going to have to follow it so yeah Despite what Grant Chaps has to say. So, yeah. Probably. Anyway, right, let's go to the third thing. The third thing, fun and games in the metaverse. Now, the reason why I um, wanted to talk about this was because um, there was some interesting um, stuff this week. about. So Disney um, decided, so as part, they're doing a massive kind of cost-cutting program. And one of the things that they decided to cut was their metaverse division um now it's not that many people i mean it's i think it was 50 people or something so not that many in the scheme of things and certainly not that many within the scheme of they're cutting seven thousand people um but i think it it has symbolic significance because it just shows that maybe you know sentiment on the metaverse is waning Mm -hmm. um you've had uh, we've heard similar things um I think it was Microsoft. You know, they bought a, bit, uh, a, a virtual reality business in 2017 or something, um, and they've they've shut that down. Um, it just seems that um, people are falling, uh, companies are falling out of love with the with the metaverse, and even Mr. Metaverse himself, yeah. Mark Zuckerberg, on his most recent call um, was talking far more about AI than he was about. Um, you know about the metaverse
1: as he should have done
0: yes and so which we will talk about in a minute um but i do think um this is this is um this is very interesting uh because you know on the one hand i can see why i i i feel that the metaverse will come but it just won't, will take a while because i feel that everything a lot of the tech that we're seeing um actually would work really well in the metaverse so cryptocurrency crypto assets um you know those those are are, are things you could do uh, using the metaverse ai would also do very well i think um in in the metaverse and i just think that that's you know i i think that the metaverse as a home for all of those things makes quite a lot of sense but the problem is at the moment the way things are at the moment is the metaverse is not easily accessible unless of course you've got you know 300 quid headsets mm-hmm. but, you know these goggles or whatever so um so anyway there's a number of points there um but um, what do you think about this ralph
1: yeah i think we talked about this before i i, I think the metaverse or, or as you increasingly say, the metaverse. Yes, the <laughs>
0: metaverse.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the the whatever. Yeah, the, the yeah, yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah, Anyway, the, the 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 metaverse is one of these things which um, captures the imagination, not least through the advent of movies such as uh, The Matrix, or mm. more recently, what was it called, um,
0: Ready Player One. Yeah. So like well, it's Avatar, so, yeah. Yeah, or Avatar, Avatar, yeah, so, or the Wave of Water, because I did go and see that actually. Um, so it's, it's, it's basically a fully
1: immersive world, virtual world, in which we live lives similar to the ones we live now, but much more enabled to sort of any kind of avatar, any kind of persona we wish to adopt. And this is not a new idea. This has lived in incarnations such as Second Life, which has been existing for the last 20 years. It, what's the other thing called? Decentraland. Okay.
0: That's what there is now, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. um, I mean, World of Warcraft has been a sort of a thing. Uh, Has been
1: uh, metaverse, yes. But anyway, so that's, I think, where the imagination of the public goes. But but I have never really thought this is the major impact of it. I, I've coined a new word for myself, which is mainstreaming, uh, which, which, which to me means that a technology of this nature mainstreams. And when it does, then it scales to proportions that are exploding and then it becomes... Um, force and this happened to the internet when it was this of domain of geeks it was not very interesting then it became usable in terms of interactive websites web 201 sorry web 2.0 made it into a commercial commoditized product and now we can't live without it now we don't even remember properly a time without it and the metaverse i i see in its commercial applicability, more as a 3D interface. A 3D interface which will enable professional applications such as surgical robots, which, which, are, which do exist as cybernetic robots, and they are assisting surgeons to operate, but a 3D type interface where a surgeon might directly direct the let's say, surgical instrument to its point of applicability in the body by pointing on that part in the body in the virtual representation of the patient. That sort of thing, I think, is going to be the actual applicability of it.
0: Mm.
1: and uh, it is interesting to me to see that a lot of people apparently business people have thought that this other, the more science fiction sort of application was going to be the way to go. Disney for example clearly must have assumed this because otherwise it wouldn't have uh, developed a a meta division or whatever they called it Mm. and uh, so yes like you I think
0: I just hope that that division had a like a a call to arms right <laughs> to infinity and beyond i mean that would have been a perfect one wouldn't it disney metaverse division to infinity and beyond yeah i haven't got kids is that buzz buzz, buzz light yeah. Buzz, buzz Lightyear? Buzz Lightyear. yeah yeah sorry yeah. anyway carry on
1: yeah i was about to say buzz cork but i thought this may, no, no, maybe no. maybe the adult version yes
0: what, did I, uh, did I just say
1: that? Yeah, like, geez, well, geez, moving geez. swiftly on, maybe nobody yeah. heard. So, no, no. Um, uh, a, yeah, yes, where are we? So I think what is happening at the moment is perhaps something which has been happening in the dot-com boom, if anybody remembers. Hmm. Lots of technology mushroomed, lots of companies mushroomed um, in a space which was clearly potentially transformative but nobody quite knew where it was going to go. It's a similar sort of situation now. We have the capabilities of the metaverse. We have got the development of quantum computing, which may be lagging 10 years behind. Mm. But what we have very certainly bursting onto the scene in an an exponential part of its growth phase is artificial intelligence. Mm. And I think that people are now sort of almost like veering away from what they thought they sort of all the tech entrepreneurs many of them thought oh it's the metaverse that's going to become coming first this is going to be where the developments lie and then mm-hmm. all of a sudden even they were caught out by the advent of ai which is now there and the people are thinking oh actually It's AI, which is the big, that's Mm. the name of the game. So I think a lot of people are now going to focus on AI. And in the development of AI, that itself will enable the metaverse. It has Mm. just taken a step on the back burner. It is not dead, but it's not Mm. going to emerge as a virtual world in its usability. I don't think it's going Mm. to be supporting commercialized products such as Hollow interfaces surgical robots simulations uh, for pilots for mm. uh, medical students for soldiers etc and some other applications yeah. uh, which uh, i can think of but not going to be yeah. boring you with now no
0: <laughs> but no I, I i think that's all yes absolutely i mean i agree with all that i mean i i also just wanted to add the other you know like almost like a you know, a comparison, really, where everyone was getting really hot under the collar about the metaverse. Um, Mm. And it does remind me of a time um, not too long ago um, when they had 3D TVs.
1: (laughs) And, (laughs)
0: um, you know, I remember at the time I was at a Japanese um, brokerage house. I was doing uh, I was doing a lot of work with Sony. And uh, we organised a big event for ev- investors in London, and you know I think we had the the, the CFO of Sony came over, and um, but we had um, a lot of a sort of demo of a lot of their products, and you know I think I think it was about 2010 because I think that was when the world there was a World Cup on then, and everyone was saying about how great um, watching football would be in 3D. Um, then there were, you know, lots of talk about um, movies and things like that. Anyway, um, they, um, yeah. So they, so I remember playing the games. Um, yeah, we had a, a, a car racing, an F1 simulator. There, we had the, you know, the the uh, 3D stuff. It was amazing. I remember mm. at the time thinking, "This is amazing." I, as a broker, I was really quite, uh, quite keen on it. Um, and we had, there was one guy on our team who was the sort of residential, um, you know, or uh, well, the resident um, uh, miserable old git um, who <laughs> was always so cynical. Oh no, it's this new technology. And I remember thinking, God, you're so miserable about this. And, you know, why aren't you? So, this is great. I mean, it's going to make, this is going to be, um, make an event of watching a film at home. You know, this is really going to be good. And you know there was just so much sinness. He was like, "Yeah, but you just have to put the glasses on." And and I think in the end he was right um, because you know um, if you wanted to have your mates over to watch um, football on your 3D TV, you'd still you'd have to wear these shutter glasses, which cost 120 quid a pair. So if you have you know, um, t- you know t- t- ten mates around, you have to have because they can't bring theirs around even if they did have you know them, unless they were of this because they they are um sort of tuned in to your yeah. actual tv so mm-hmm. that's 1200 quid gone um you know so actually that proved to be a step too far i think that is probably what spelled the end of it uh, yeah. and you could argue that the going on to the metaverse is very difficult because at the moment you need you need um you need these 300 quid or plus um goggles to to access it so it's really really difficult um Indeed, and maybe but... yeah i mean maybe that could be that might be the downfall or will it certainly be the oh. limiting factor yeah, for um,
1: now, for now. But but yeah. of course we need to understand that technological development is going to progress there also. And I absolutely, absolutely agree. Currently the accessories are just too unwieldy. I've, I've recently played around with this, and it's just it's it's interesting, it's fun, yes. But you need mm. to wear the all immersive goggles and the heavy on the nose bridge, yeah. and, and so it's just, just well. not not, it's not yeah. nice to wear. No. But that is a relatively simple problem to well, simple it may not be, but it's an engineering problem to solve, mm. and. Mm. Let's just say 20 years in the future or whatever, invent a number when you have a little clip on your glasses or a little mm. clip which is similar to your earphone, which you have now mm-hmm. like Apple Pods or whatever, you know, something like that will enable you perhaps to access this particular universe mm. m- in more ease. And again, that would be my mainstreaming. Mm. Uh, metaphor again when it is easy to access these things then more people will do so Mm. currently this is still very much the domain of a select group of people who enjoy the experience so much or Mm. they enjoy the experimentation with it as Mm. a benefit in itself whereas Mm. like normal people like like you and me mm. may not be interested in that. So in other words, there is always a benchmarking exercise. Yes, mm. it is very impressive versus a benchmark perhaps of video games 10 years ago, mm. 20 years ago. But it is just not good enough to present a immersive experience which normal people would like. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And absolutely. that may come. But yeah. like I said, I, I I predict other other applications mm. to be more in commercial focus before we even get to that stage. Fair enough.
0: So let's move on to the next uh, the next or final topic, which I think is very interesting. So for those who don't know, there was an open letter that was published. It was signed by about a thousand experts on AI who called for uh, basically a six month moratorium for. Um, you know, uh, discussion on the law and ethics gu- gu- guiding um, AI. Now, at the moment, AI is progressing faster than the ways to control it. Um, I am of the opinion that um, there needs to be some kind of global governing body, like a, a, a mm-hmm. NATO of the AI and metaverse or something. Mm -hmm. But no one, I don't think anyone is stepping forward to do that. Uh, And so I do think that any kind of regulation of this is going to be supremely difficult Mm -hmm. and very uh, almost impossible to enforce. Um, But, uh, you know, what what did you think of this, um, of this letter? Yeah, uh, absolutely. I found it hugely significant,
1: I have to say, Mm -hmm. because... uh, when I first looked at it, when I just saw the headline, I thought, oh dear, this is one of these crank letters again, lots of tree huggers are signing it, people who are against technology or whatever. And then I saw that it was like a thousand signatories, and most, most, if I mean, <laughs> of course, I haven't gone through the list entirely, but most of them appears, appear to have been people who are working in the field. And I just scanned the first 10, 20. And yes, there is Elon Musk, but the person who impressed me most was somebody who may nobody even know. And that person is Stuart Russell. Stuart Russell is one of the most eminent academics working in the field of AI and has been for years. He wrote the book on AI, literally. This is like Crix's book on biology. This is an absolutely seminal cornerstone work on AI. If you study AI at university or anything which is related to it, you will not be able not to encounter it, if that still Mm. makes sense. It's a thousand-page tome. An absolute must read for anybody who is working in the field. If Stuart Russell is a signatory of a letter which essentially asks for a pause in the development, then I take note of it. I sit Mm -hmm. up and I'm thinking, well... I was thinking myself recently that we are now in a phase of development of AI, which is clearly on the steeper part already of the exponential growth curve. And what I was thinking is this technology is uh, developing at a pace which surely will outpace the degree to which societies are able to absorb the risks Mm. which it brings with it all the opportunities, it is changing already so much of our societies. Uh, we have briefly discussed the impact which it might or will have um, on how things are being taught at school. There are clearly impacts on society in terms of automation of certain jobs uh, which will fall by the wayside Other jobs are going to be uh, created. We don't know exactly which fields they are going to be in. We are not clear on what the economic impact will be. We are basically not clear on anything much. What we are clear about is that this technology harbors untold opportunities, but also, of course, risks. And so if I think that, then it is interesting for me to see that people who actually are working in the field, who are entrepreneurs with a clear track record of having established companies in that sector, that they are also calling for a pause, for a period of reflection of how to responsibly regulate this particular technology, and, and this is all I'm going to say, because I myself do not know how this could be formulated, what ethical restraints in the restraint in this particular field might even mean, how it can be defined, and mm-hmm. surely also how it can be regulated. Which uh, institutions need to be? needs to be established, who do the regulating, under whose auspices are these institutions going to mm. be, are they part of mm. government, are the governmental bodies, We we don't know. So I'm going to pause myself here and just say that the very existence of a letter of this nature highlights that we are now in a very steep ascent of the exponential growth curve already and i don't think anybody can ignore ai anymore
0: Hmm. very a deep a deep thing to end on i think let's 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 leave it there i mean that's like you know mic drop as it were (laughs) isn't it really a mic drop moment um so yes um well look thank you very much uh fascinating discussion as always ralph um thank you lots i mean a lot to think about you know there's a lot of this stuff you know we're we're still only really scratching the surface but um yeah you know i'm really looking forward to following the developments of of all this because you know they they, these are going to have huge huge impacts to all our lives i think so um you know so yeah but anyway, thank you very much, Ralph. Um, cool. Thank you very much for um, listeners for listening, for watchers for watching. Um, mm-hmm. We'll be back again for more fun and games. I don't know next week because it's e- e- Easter, isn't it? But uh, you know, we'll Easter. be back again soon. We'll be we back again soon. <laughs> yeah. so, so, anyway. Sooner than you want us back, anyway. That's <laughs> <a> good... <laughs> anyway, thank you very okay, much. Okay, guys, indeed. thanks for
1: listening. Excellent. Bye. Cool. Bye. Bye.